Welcome to the Inner Huddle, a youth football development podcast for parents, coaches, and managers of young aspiring footballers. Your hosts from Pezza Street Soccer are Pez and Jeff. Hello and welcome to the Inner Huddle. Um, I'm joined on location today with Jeff Bonner as normal and Betsy Tuffrey. Before we get into that, we're on location, aren't we, Jeff? Second time we've done a podcast from a different location, yes. Yes, and the, what, what else is different about today, Jeff? Uh, we're on a Peasant Street Soccer holiday course in Andover. And it's the first time we're filming oh, yeah. one of our podcasts for Peasant TV. Um, the last time we were on location was at Serum Academy with uh, Andy Reid, and if you want to listen to that, you can uh, download that one as well, can't you? Which is very good. Anyway... On to today's special guest. Hi, Betsy. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for having me. That absolute pleasure. You might not be thanking us at the end, but uh, I'm not thankful you're filming for the first time today. No. Well, I forgot about that a little bit. I must remember to tell people about new ideas. Right. A little bit of background about yourself. You're the founder of Seed Psychology. I am. Um, You're currently working at Portsmouth Football Club with the youth team. I had my last day yesterday. Was it last day yesterday? Did they have a uh, FA Youth Cup game, I They believe. did, which was victorious. Oh, they did so, win? Yeah, they saw me out with a 5-2 victory. Okay, excellent. And um, who did they have? Who did they play? They played Bristol City. Bristol City. Good result. Well done to them. And you're moving to Brighton, is that? Or I the, am. the football club, at yes, least. Yes, I start with Brighton Academy on Monday. Excellent stuff. Looking forward to that? I am, very much so, yeah. Big Good. outfit. And we first met at our Pezza's Elite Training Camp for uh, this, uh, the course we put on in the summer for slightly older kids, wasn't it, Jeff? School year 6 to... 6 to 10, it was, which was absolutely excellent. And we knew then we've got to get you in and do a podcast. So Perfect. Here you are. And I believe you've also done some work with some of our players at Salisbury United. Is that right, Jeff? Yes, that's correct. Good. Which is, which is what? For those listening for the first time, what's Salisbury um, United? FC Salisbury United is a futsal club that competes in the National Futsal Super League, which is the highest league you can play in in this country, with 12 teams from north to south, east to west, of the highest level. Good. I'm sure we've done a futsal special podcast, haven't we? We have, yes. Again, you can download (laughs) that and listen to that if you really have got nothing else to do. That wasn't a bad show, was it? That was probably our... Second best one after today. After today, I look at that. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, you're such a charmer. Right. The format for these things. We have questions, and they are in front of you. Um, I've got a spare set if you need them. Um, and we just try and get through as many as we can. They've been sent in by people people we know, or people some that we don't, some are involved in the soccer school, some are mine that I've put in, and some have been from other podcasts that we've done, haven't they? So yeah. we collect them all together. It's not a case of just going through them one at a time because it sort of takes on a life of its own sometimes, doesn't it? Because you can't shut Jeffrey up sometimes when he gets going. Um, but yes, but it gives us a little bit of a framework. So I don't know whether this is a good one to start or not. I'll do, is... I'll do the first one. Can you do the first oh, yeah, one? All right. right. Question one. number one, Jeff. What is sports psychology? Okay. There we go. Hit me with it. Yeah, hit you straight in there with the big one. Uh, so psychology is, as a whole is the study of um, the human mind, behaviour, Etc. And sports psychology is exactly what it says on the tin, really. The study of psychology within a sports setting. Um, so performance-related study of the mind, I suppose, is the simplest way to describe it. Okay. 
I've written some notes down. I know you won't have done, Geoffrey, because that <laughs> would be a first. I've just put here that the more I've been involved in football development, the more I realise that the psychology is the biggest factor in everything, and it's the thing I am most interested in now. I get slated for saying it. I say it all the time. I think football's easy. I do, as a sport. It's not a difficult sport. It's not got difficult rules. There's not that many. And training it isn't even that difficult. But the psychology bit is interesting, and it is tough. Different personalities, characters, upbringings, demographics, all sorts of things. Agree? Yeah, it's made up of lots of different facets. (laughs) Did you read that from your extensive notes? (laughs) I like it. Right, okay, well, we'll go straight into question number two, which was one of mine. And we're going straight in at the deep end here. Good, good. But I'd like to talk about mental health. Years ago, professional players didn't speak out when they were suffering for fear of being dropped, what people might say, the press, opposition fans, etc. They saw it as admitting weakness and the support network wasn't there. The game has changed and there's now much less stigma in admitting mental health problems. Still not perfect, obviously, but it is getting better. But what I'd like to know is if this is transmitted down to youth level that you work with and what support networks there are for young players in the professional game. Okay, in at the deep end. In free straight in with the big one, it the is. mental health one. Uh, so as far as support for young players, in my experience in football academies, it has it has got down to youth level. Okay. Um, there is quite a decent welfare structure for young players in terms of mental health. It, there is a massive crossover between the kind of work I would do with a player and mental health issues which are more clinical. Yeah. So most of the stuff I would do directly with a player would be performance related. Um, if I had concerns that there were mental health issues which were more of a clinical yeah. um, situation, then I would refer on to a clinical psychologist. Do they so, have a, one that the club's linked with? or Not directly. Okay. Um, club doctor would be able to provide a bit of right. an overlap and referral for that. But in terms of my skills as a psychologist within a football environment, I'd be able to provide a level of support. But if there was a clinical diagnosis to be made, that would be beyond my yes, fair enough, yeah. realm. Um, I guess the network that's available to youth players particularly in category academies yes. is is pretty impressive probably more so than first team I think they're okay. really tightly governed by category rules and audits etc um, so from my experience there is there is stuff there, it can always be better in my yeah, opinion. Yeah, anything can always be better and it's... exactly um, so yeah it is, it is there but Good. the that's, that's high profile cases coming through every year now uh, are helpful in terms of young players knowing that it's acceptable and the support is there and they can. Yeah, there's been a bit of a breakthrough with it, hasn't there? The the ice has been broken and then it hopefully will all fall in place from there. Exactly. Over the years as it develops, I guess. Um, Anything on that, Jeff? It just sounds... Obviously, to me, it's like diagnosing a physical injury, isn't it? We wouldn't say... Oh, that's definitely a pulled hamstring, or that's definitely a broken leg. We would refer them on to someone with more expertise. And exactly, um, that's kind of the way it needs to be looked at a little bit. I think. Yeah, it's an injury the of the mind. Yeah. Right, you know, and you get injury of the body, you get injury of the mind. You go to the right place, you get it fixed, and get you know all the help you can. So it's taking that sort of stigma away, isn't it? That's yeah, the important and I, thing. I think that's essentially what the stigma of sports psychology is. That actually it is 
it is the mental performance of the athlete, and that is often overshadowed by all the physical demands and what yeah. what football athletes and any athlete think they need to do in terms of physicality and training and technical development, and actually seeing psychology as the same kind of science, but it is with their mind. It's, yes. It's, that is the stigma. And it's a lot more <clears throat> accepted now, isn't it, the whole psychological side of it? I mean, obviously, when is it Glenn Hoddle brought in... What's her name? Eileen Drury to the England squad in 1998, and it was oh, it's, uh, don't need psychologists. And it, again, that might have been one of the or the start of the ice-breaking moment for yeah. psychology. And I think there's been a few big ones. Sam Allardyce was big into it. Bill Beswick, I think, yeah. he brought in at, at Bolton at the time. And he was at Man United. Bill Beswick. Yeah. yeah, he's great. I listened to some of his stuff yeah. uh, online. He's he's terrific. So, so yeah, all good. Right. Happy to move on. Do you want to read question number three? Question number three. Following on from question one, is there anything that can be done from a very young age in grassroots football to help with mental health issues in the long term? It's quite a deep and big one, that it one. Is, it, it is. I think in terms of from, from really young footballers and kids getting into the game, I think the, the advice I'd give, certainly to coaches and other psychologists, if, if young players are working with psychologists then is developing that psychological awareness. Yeah. So players being aware of emotions and aware yeah. of their own reflections, their own feelings, um, and being able to assess that. And thinking rationally comes into that in a big way okay. from my point of view. So are players, even at a very young age, interpreting mistakes in a rational way? Yeah. Do they think that things are dreadful and terrible when they lose? And that's very much in sports psychology in terms of long-term healthy behaviour, healthy athletes. So I think as a parent or coach, ensuring that the kind of language your child's using from a young age and how they're interpreting success and failure is dealt with really rationally. Um, That can really help to bring their emotional awareness and their psychological awareness on in an older age um, and enable them to have more healthy thoughts Yes. And with healthy thoughts come healthy behaviours. And that can start right from toddler, can't it? Getting yeah. that language and exactly. behaviours. From the day a child can speak, they yeah. are choosing language. Yeah. And that might be, particularly from a very young age, that might be from their parents. Mm-hmm. So actually, are you as a parent or you as a coach using rational language? What sort of language are you using to describe wins and losses? and? Yeah. Body language comes into it, everything. Exactly. The whole package, I guess. Exactly. They learn from a very young age how to interpret these things, and they're learning from from their role models, which often at that age are adult figures. As children get older, they're looking more to their peers and perhaps playing role models for that sort of behaviour. Cool. Um, I just put it to be aware that parents are the most important influence in in football, I suppose it's with anything, but obviously... It's a football show and we only really know anything about football, really, don't we? (laughs) Which is still debatable. We try our best. But, yeah, that everything that the parents say, do, how they act, what they say, the language they choose, their body language, how they react to things, they pick up on it like sponges. Absolutely. And um, I think awareness of that is obviously the starting point and the key. And, you know, I think there should be more advice and help out there for parents and coaches... The, the first age. I'd ever heard of this was um, from Bournemouth Football Club, where they had a, a talk with the parents about the things they were saying in the car on the way to games. Mm-hmm. And when we've been to 
games that some children or parents might see as a big game, um, you can definitely see children are playing in a different way because of a, a pep talk in the car on the way to a game, and that was the first time I really started thinking about predominantly because the parents yeah. want to win the game. Yeah, whether it be for and a nice Facebook post or exactly because yeah. Tiny Tim plays for the opposition, he used to play for our team. It'd be nice to put one over on them today. You can and visibly see decision making's been affected, and it's normally a more selfish behaviour you see because of the extra added pressures that have been put on children as young as nine or ten. I guess it would have been. Yeah. Pressure is a massive one, and anything that affects a child's decision-making is wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, they've got to be able to make their own decisions and make their own mistakes to learn from them in terms of football development. And this is where they get it wrong, so things like rewards for goals. If you score a hat-trick today, we'll take you to McDonald's, and yeah. then you know next week they only score two, and they don't go to McDonald's, and they're disappointed, and it's all these psychological things and yeah. mistakes that... that most parents make, don't they? Every week. I think going back to the, the car journey situation that you touched upon, that's something I, I've said to parents of certainly the Portsmouth players. That those key times, dropping their child off at a game and picking them up, what are they doing in preparation for that match and how are they being influential? And, and mostly, in my experience, that's in a negative way. And actually, how are they reflecting on the performance in the post-match car journey. Yeah, and the first questions are normally, did you score, did you win, isn't it? Yeah, yeah all performance-related outcomes. Um, uh, Why didn't you do this if, you know, if they've watched the game and exactly. analysing it? And I think certainly at an older age, um, so probably from 15 to 18, that kind of scholar, day-release age, yeah. the coaches are so influential at that age and teaching these players to be senior adult yep. footballers. Uh, that's the majority of the information that the player needs to be taking on and often parental advice is is conflicting to that or parents that think they're coaches or think that their input is more valuable than the coach or or different that's a real challenge and that's a challenge for the player and I think certainly the advice I've given to parents when I've um, had contact with them through the football club is, is how whether they're being a parent or whether they're being a performance parent so are they being, um, and I joke with some of the players that they get in the car with their dad or their mum and they'll probably get different reception. So mum yeah. tends to be unconditional. Oh, you were fantastic. Yeah. You know, even if they had an absolute nightmare, you were fantastic and, and everything's a bit unrealistic and that's frustrating for a player. Yeah. And on the contrast, dad tends to be the the coach in disguise. Pick holes and everything. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so parents understanding how what role they have, they, they aren't the coach no. and they're not there to really develop performance in that way. They, yeah. they can be a support mechanism. They should, that's what their role should be, supporting yeah. in good times, bad times, yeah. you know, when they've plateaued a bit and yeah. when they've dipped and when they're on a high and every situation know that, I think we get onto it a bit later, but sort of love is unconditional and their support in all those times are there and it should actually be a special time because it might as they get older might be the longest time they spend with their dad or their mum is that hour car journey depending on how far they go mm-hmm. you know if it's an hour there now but that's two hours quality time that they could be using for positive things you know yeah. for their own relationship as well as just football there's a great photo of Lionel Messi and Luis Suarez just sat back 
at the Barcelona, I think it's probably Barcelona. It's Barcelona Academy, yeah. is it? I think so. Both yeah. their kids are there, and they're just sat back, chilled <clears> out, <throat> just enjoying mm. the environment and letting the coaches coach and be the coach. And it's all smiles and claps and, and encouragement, isn't it? But it does change somewhere along the line, doesn't it? It yeah. always starts like that at <laughs> six, seven, eight years old, and then it gets a little Things bit get more serious. serious. <laughs> mainly for the parents. Yeah, and in some ways, I've been sympathetic with parents in that situation. They are really highly invested in their child's development, and they've spent a lot of time taxiing them round from a young age to this club and this academy. And they, I think, most parents that I've come across are the intention is 100% support. Yes. Yes. What actually happens in terms of their behaviour isn't always in the right way and this is where they might need a little bit more support exactly which I I think it's one of the last missing pieces of the jigsaw is the support for the parents at all levels this is what you you know this is how you can support your child and these are definite no-nos yeah and these are some things that you could try and and are they being like I I used to write parent newsletters to um to the parents of 15 to 18 year olds at Portsmouth and the the notion of the whole newsletter was are you being conducive to what I'm trying to do at the club? Yeah. Um, so how is their behaviour at home in the vast amount of time they spend at home? Is that conducive to what we're trying to create at the club? Yeah. And how are you supporting that that happening outside of hours? Um, so that that was important, and a lot of parents really engage with that and acknowledge okay. that they need a bit of support and guidance and, and how what, what should they be doing? Because ultimately they do want the best for their children. Yeah, and that, that's the common denominator that you need to all need to tap into. Exactly. That you all want what's best for the child, including the child. Yes. Um, and, then, and then sort of taking it from there. And I, I've spoken to lots of parents, and when you explain to them things that they're doing, they think, oh, I never realised, mm-hmm. and, you know, they're, they're quite open to it, but it's... Well, a lot of them still, yeah. a lot of them still carry on some doing the same so things because they think they know best. But mm-hmm. you know that will always happen. Yeah. Um, but I think if you're if your child's in a professional club environment, especially, you have to be a certain amount of trust. Trust them to get on with it. Yeah. And if you don't trust them, don't put them there in the first place. Type thing. You know, it's yeah. you have to let go at some point. Just let them get on with it. But they can't, can they? Most of the time, it's very interesting. I'm, we're obviously going off on a tangent again like we always do a little bit but because this is the topic that we chat about and get frustrated about the most so it was always going to happen right let's move on where are we now question four four. is that me right um what's your opinion on players being constantly assessed for example players at academies having every game assessed and every training session filmed now i don't know what it's like at portsmouth but i know clubs that i've been at Every single training session is filmed. Mm-hmm. Every match is filmed. Um, a lot of the time, the kids will get a copy of that match. They have to assess themselves. There can be some sort of traffic light system of how they've done in key performance targets, or whatever you call them. Um, and then the manager will assess the game, and then they match them up. Now, I get it, and I can see from technical aspects it's great, but from the psychological aspects, could it be too much and put pressure on them I don't want to load you up there I think firstly actually analysis in terms of video and games video and training sessions can actually be quite a useful tool for the psychologist okay because I can pick out or get the analyst to clip um, certain demonstrations of psychological behaviours that maybe I've been working on with a player 
So it might be how they're responding to mistakes, how they um, respond to key events in a game, so Mm -hmm. even scoring a goal, how how do they respond as an individual, down to team celebrations. Okay. What, if they go off on their own or if they're a part of a group? Yeah, or if there's no celebration at all. All Um, So there's there's interesting things that I might pick up on from, from video games. I think, on the whole, there is a lot of analysis, especially yeah. at professional academies. In some ways the players are introduced to that from quite a young age yeah. so at Portsmouth uh, the filming of games starts at 15 um, probably at Category 2, Category 1 academies it will start much younger than yeah, that. Yeah, I believe it does. Um, yeah. They might all be totally different, I don't yeah. think there's a set thing for each club Yeah, it's just my experience. So I think being introduced to that slowly is important yeah. And it depends how the club's using it. Okay. So at Portsmouth, actually, the analysis is used sensibly, in my view. The players yeah. do have access to it. They don't have to pick their game apart. Okay. Um, they're not publicly humiliated when the coach brings up the footage and individuals are picked out. Um, so I think they're protected in a way yeah. at that stage. And actually, some of the more positive ways you can use that filming is... For instance, at the FA Youth Cup last night, there's, the players have a motivational video before the match, full of clips of successful performance and yeah. goals and they are great you know, for that. Seems yeah, good ones. the England futsal team, I think they're encouraged to clip up their own highlights yeah. reels now after games and stuff, which I thought was quite. If you're doing it yourself as well, it's a very positive yeah. thing, yeah. isn't it? Actually, and actually that relates to things that I would do with players. So um, I do a lot of work with highlight reels, whether that's physical or, or by visualization. So you don't actually have to get a player, and it, particularly in, in non-academy players where they don't have the access to that. Yeah. The games might not be being filmed, but going through the process of asking a player to imagine their highlight reel and what that looks like. Yes, we get onto a bit of visualisation things in, Excellent. in a while. Um, so even, you know, you will see the, the ending montages after yes. the World Cup and Wimbledon or any big sporting events with the epic music and um, maybe slow motion yeah, goals. Yeah. I would encourage players to actually create their own um, and that can develop both visualisation skills and improving confidence in terms of seeing their yeah. successful performances. Excellent. So it's great when you... Because you probably gathered, I'm not always a big fan of it, but I only look at it from one part. From our point of view, we look at just the football development and that strikes pressure and then pressure affects decision-making and players um, playing within themselves. I mean, from if we develop a child who's lucky enough to get a trial at a professional club I just think the pressure on them, they go in for six weeks and they're thrown in at the deep end you get, all your matches are filmed, all your trainers films. they've gone from grassroots to suddenly, wow mm-hmm. everything's a little bit caught in the headlights they've got loads of kids who might not be nice to them or passing the ball because they try to take their place and parents are guilty of this as well, many times I've heard parents say, don't give him the ball leave one on him in training, he's not having your place son mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff which is getting better, clubs are aware of it and then in the training so, so we put a kid in who's very skillful and likes taking players on, suddenly he's under that pressure you know, he's had it easy in grassroots football and then he's suddenly been analysed and he's got the cameras on him and then they say He's not doing what he did before. And you think, well, that's because you've taken him out of one context and put him in another. And I think in the past it used to be, well, he needs to see what he's like in this environment because it's a tough world, tough sport. And I think that's, that's too an easier thing to say now. So I'm, I think that sometimes it is over-analysed in that situation. 
but I can see how it can be used yeah, brilliantly um, in other ways. So I, I think, go on. I think if you strip it back to, like, talking about pressure, yeah, pressure isn't videoing a player isn't introducing pressure. Okay, but it it means that the player interprets the situation differently. Yes. So they then think they are there's more importance on what they're doing because they're being filmed. Yeah. So actually. And that's really stripping it back. That's easy for me to say. But the situation itself isn't pressure. Their yeah. interpretation of what what that videoing means is causing them to feel under pressure. Yeah. So whether they then think that mistakes are highlighted. And I think that's then a coach's or an analyst's um, responsibility to inform them why the videoing is yeah. happening and how it's going to be used. And whether that is more... They interpret that as a magnifying glass on any mistake you make is, is filmed and it's documented and that's yeah. that's on, more important. On the flip side, it gives you loads more opportunity to catch the behaviour you're looking for and you want to see and yeah. you can praise it with that exactly. image shown back. And actually, I in the past have looked at, at videos of games and seen things that have happened off the ball that I wouldn't have seen yeah. because I was looking at the ball, as we all are most of the time. So it can be really useful I mean, it can affect the way a player plays, yeah. essentially, especially at a young age. But I think then, how, where do we go from there? Because you're not going to change the situation of clubs filming training sessions and clubs filming no. matches. No, I... But how, how can we get players to realise that actually that doesn't change physically what they're doing? The situation itself, the pitch they're playing on, who they're playing against, hasn't changed at yeah. all. But their perception of what the videoing means is maybe what, what we need to change. Yes, and it needs good communication and to be explained to them what it's about. Exactly. Um, yeah, very interesting. Because now I, I could be a convert to it a little bit. I guess it's like anything. It's a tool that's there. It's how you use it and how you communicate it. In a huddle from Peza Street Soccer.